I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Barbara. Hi, everybody. I'm Barbara, and compulsive overeater. Hi, Barbara. Uh, the only preparation for coming here today is to know who I am and where I came from. Uh, I knew that I was a compulsive overeater in retrospect when I was five years old. And the reason why I know this, and I wasn't fat at that time. In fact, I was of normal weight at that time. But the reason why I know that is that I taught school. And when I taught school a lot of years ago, we learned from Dick, Jane, Spot, and Puff. And I don't think anybody here is old enough to remember Dick and Jane and Spot and Puff, but they were taught for years, and they were also taught when I was a child. And in the very first pre-primer, when you first go into first grade, Sally gets an ice cream cone. She's a little girl. And it's a hot summer day, and the ice cream falls out of the cone. And I will tell you, telling you this, I know how horrible an experience that is. <laughs> and when I remembered it, when I started teaching those very same books, that made me know that I had that compulsive overeating. Food was way more important than anything else, and then as normal then. I, I'm the child of immigrants. My father got out of Nazi Germany on a false passport. My mother got out of Bolshevist Russia. Her father, and her father and her two older siblings came to the United States in 1917, then the revolution. My mother got out in 1927. So I'm really the product of the drama of the 20th century. And my parents were not evil. They were not bad. They were just up over their heads, and they were doing the best they could. And they were working awfully hard. They had nothing. And there wasn't very much left for me. And the family, the majority of the family on my mother's side was in New York. And my parents, I don't know why, uh, borrowed $500 from my grandfather, who I never met, and came to California. And so I was the only child in California. And it was a very lonely existence. And when my mother had me, and I happen to know this by the stories that they tell in the family, but I also know it through some therapy I had a lot of years ago that brought me back to remember this and to re-experience re it. Apparently, when I was born, my mother wasn't able to nurse me, and I wasn't able to hold down any formula. And by three weeks of age, I was going to die, except that my father found a wet nose for me. So I come by my compulsive overeating, very honestly. Uh, and I remember what that felt like. I remember the sense of being desperate, desperate. And that lives inside of me now. And through those, that early, not quite right bonding with my mother, not quite right getting born, getting right there, I didn't have a good relationship with my mother. And that was unfortunate for both of us. And... I was determined, <laughs> I have to tell you, just jump around a little bit. When I first started writing inventory on this program, I was writing inventory about my mother, who I resented. She had been 
deceased at that time. She had died 12 years before I got to program. That's too bad because I had no chance to make amends to her and, and to find that together with her. To, I sometimes think if she were here now and if my father were here now and I could talk to them like a human being, that would be so wonderful instead of this resentful little kid who also adored my parents, who also adored them both. Um, so here I am writing this inventory. It's all about my mother. It's all about how much I resent her. Where am I going with this? I mean, you can tell that there's no end of this in sight. She's been gone. She's dead. My sponsor at the time knew that I was teaching school, and she said, you know, Barbara, if you don't forgive your mother, you're going to have to write 500 times, I forgive my mother, I forgive my mother. <laughs> and I started to laugh. And I will say that that laughter and that ease of that determination that I had to get her to get, to get even, to give me what I needed, was the first surrender I had on this program. The first of many, I might add. And the first little piece of healing that I had on this program. So here I am, this kid, not really overeating, parents working hard. I was a latchkey kid with my brother. I go to school and I fall in love with school. I fall in love with kindergarten. My father says to me, you love school, you should be a teacher. I mean, that was like, in those days, girls, you don't know how good you have it now. In those days, you could be a teacher, you could be a nurse, you could be a secretary, or a clerk. I mean, that was really the options available for women. And so a teacher it was. I was selected for that. And I really loved school. And things went along quite smoothly until I was eight. When I was eight, the war was over, and we moved from this place in downtown Long Beach, California, to another nicer area, and I went to a different school. And I walked into this new classroom, and I didn't know how to belong there. So something inside of me by then had that emptiness inside of me that I didn't know how to talk to the other kids. I had felt okay when I knew everybody, but these were new kids. They had already formed their friendships. They had already formed their groups, and I didn't know how to get in. And that has lasted part of it to this day and all through my school years. And little by little, what I turned to was the food, little by little. And I never got... I'm small. I weighed maybe 15 pounds more than I weigh now through my growing up years. I weigh now what I wore in what, what I weighed in junior high school. And just to skip around again, before I got to program, I had stopped smoking, and I had gone up to 138, I think it was. So it was like 25. 30 pounds more than I weigh now. And that was as far as it went. And because I'm a periodic eater, I don't just go, after, after I go for a while, there is in me a revulsion against the way I'm living. And for me, a binge is starting with a half gallon of ice cream. And then that's not enough to fill that hole inside of me. 
that is the start of a binge if I'm really into the food and into binging. And so I can do that for a while and then I just am able to stop. I also binge or did before I got to program when my life wasn't right. And I didn't binge when I had a new boyfriend or if something else was going on for me to make me feel good about myself. Always coming from the outside to fill that empty hole. Because the essence of my compulsive overeating for me is that deep place inside of myself that I was looking to fill coming from my mother and not ever knowing that it was me to look inside and find myself there. I never knew that before program. I only found that out when I got here. And it it took me a long time. So I had a rough time in elementary school. I was the kid that at recess I would go hide in the bathroom because I wasn't very good at sports and I did my family was into playing the piano. I was the pianist in the elementary school orchestra, but sports was not in our consciousness. And uh, I, I would hide at recess because I didn't have anyone to play with. And that continued in junior high school. I was really alone and felt alone. And my parents cared. My father particularly. My father and I were close, but they didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know to go talk to the teacher. They, didn't, they just didn't have a clue. And, and so there I was with nobody to turn to. And some kids are in these situations and they find what they need someplace else. And I found some of it when I got to high school. When I got to high school, there was a group of us who were friends. And one particular friend that I had who I loved dearly and who also loved me and there was a kind of an unconditional love that came out of that she died last year and I miss her to this day very much but so when I came to high school it was better there were things there was friends there was boyfriends and girlfriends it was fun and I always suffered I always suffered because I didn't feel sure of myself and I didn't feel confident of myself and I didn't really, I was just waiting for myself to do something wrong. I couldn't trust myself or for someone to uh, turn their back on me or, or something that wasn't exactly right and there I would be off again. So there I was. Went on to college, same thing. So what I did was... I looked for something outside of myself to solve these problems that I didn't know how to solve. I got married. I had a career. I got divorced. I got another career and another marriage and a child and another divorce. I mean, I was, <laughs> I was looking out there for anything I could find to solve the essential issue inside of myself that I could never find. Finally, I met somebody who would have been a perfectly appropriate husband to me. He was so much like my present husband. They're both lawyers. They both are musicians. uh, They're both handsome. I mean, he was the right one. But I knew that I could not do another thing with this emptiness inside of myself. I just knew that I couldn't go any further. And 
when he and I broke up, I got a master's degree and I got another career. And I kept going for a while and I just finally got to the point where I couldn't go any further. I knew that nothing I could do in the external world was going to do one thing to solve this problem and that there had to be something else. And I happened to be, I told you I stopped smoking. I happened to be working at a time with a bunch of guys that were circuit speakers for the Pacifica group of AA. And so they are the ones who brought me in. Alcohol has never been a problem for me. It's always been the food. And so it wasn't AA that I went to. I went to OA. But they're the ones who got me into it. And I went to my first OA meeting, and I did not feel like I belonged. And I did not feel like I had like I had come home. I did not have any of those. I saw everybody hugging, and I said, well, they're all together. What's going to happen to me? I'm going to be all by myself in the back again like I always am, or even in the front with my hand raised up, but nobody, not ever connecting with anybody. And, in fact, for the first I eventually asked somebody to sponsor me, and she said she just didn't really think she could handle me. I was by that point point so willful and so determined and so tied up. I mean, just nobody could get in, and I couldn't get out. And there was like a wall around me. I mean, there it was. I had done some sculpture, and I had wanted to sculpt a glass or plastic wall about me. I never did do that sculpture. I wanted to show, because that's what I was. I just couldn't be reached. And she said she couldn't handle me. And so I went to AA open meetings in a private home. I mean, this is how proud I was. Uh, where everybody could talk, because the guy who was running them was writing a book. And... I got program over time by going there, maybe a year. And I also went to a little meeting in the valley. I live in the valley. Uh, maybe 10, 12 people where it would go around and everybody could talk and I felt safe there because I didn't have to get called on. I could. Everybody talked. And I was just full of despair, really. I mean, it was really despair, but I just didn't know how to get a hold of it. I was going to meetings. I didn't know how to get any of it. I got here in 1980, and my abstinence was in 1984, so that lets you know how long this went before I could get any, get it together. And I will tell you some of the important things that put it together for me, why I could finally get it. One of the most important things, and I didn't get this right away, was I had to learn how to eat for myself. I came from a period, there's, it, it's in popularity again now, where carbs was not popular. Carbs was bad. Protein was fine. Vegetables and fruits were fine. Well, that's kind of true right now. In fact, my husband has some light case of diabetes and he got it about I think three years ago two three years ago and he controls it with diet and he doesn't eat carbs and he eats all these uh, he eats uh, protein and, and a Mediterranean diet essentially and I thought oh well maybe I should try that and I just was wiped by that I could not abstain on that diet it just isn't right for me so the thing that I had to do was to find out how to eat for myself and I finally got a sponsor who said, maybe you should go to Weight Watchers. Weight Watchers has a good food plan. And so I went there and they said you could eat 1,200 calories. And I said, I will 
gain weight on 1,200 calories. I thought the way I was supposed to eat was 800 calories a day. I thought that was being good. I thought that you weren't ever supposed to eat anything outside of that really kind of rigid diet. And I did that for the first three years I was in program. And then every, and my sponsor at the time, incidentally, the sponsor at the time was the one that that first said that she couldn't handle me, but she did eventually take me on as a sponsor when I got a little more, a little more sanity in there. And she said, maybe you should have a a yam or a baked potato (laughs) once in a while. And I said, I can't. Because I knew if I took one bite of those foods, I would not be able to stop. It would be the start of a binge for me. I just knew that that's how I would operate. And so here I go to Weight Watchers, and Weight Watchers in those days, and this is not about Weight Watchers. If this was only about Weight Watchers, I wouldn't, you know, I'd be there, not here. <laughs> if, that was, if that was what my cure was. But what they did was they taught me how to eat for myself. And what they taught me, and this works for me, and it may not work for you, but everybody's got to find their own way to eat that is going to work. And for me, if I have at every meal a little bit of protein, and they teach you what a portion is, it's the palm of your hand, basically. And if you have small hands, you're out a lot faster. It's a little bit of protein. It's a serving of some kind of carbohydrate. And it could be any kind. They don't differentiate. And you can have a couple of fruits a day and a couple of servings of dairy products a day. And you can have pretty much all the vegetables, the low-calorie vegetables that you wanted. It wasn't, oh, I came in when it was uh, gray sheet and orange sheet. I could never do that for two seconds. I mean, that was one of my three-week binging after that. I just could not work with that one at all. Just two cups of lettuce that you pack in <laughs> so tight. And I mean, that just wasn't going to work for me. But this did work for me. Because it gave me a balanced nutritional plan. And then you can, you can work with it and they can tell you how to go out to eat. You can go any place in the world. You can go, go, go to a dinner party on this food plan. People serve these. You can entertain on this food plan. It works. And it worked for me. And it took me time. It took me a couple of years to lose this 20 pounds or whatever it was at that time that I had to weigh to lose. Uh, maybe about 15 by then that I had to lose, and I did eventually lose it all. And I go to Weight Watchers every uh, month for 24 or 25 years, and I weigh in, and my weight has varied about 4 pounds in all this time. And so I have had the blessing of recovery. One day at a time, somebody just took his candle and said, one day at a time, you better believe it's one day at a time. Nobody's ever fixed around here. I have not been one of the people who food has been lifted and I never think about it again. I'm one of the people that thinks about food all the time. Not all the time, but sometimes I go through periods where I don't think about food. Other times I go through periods where it's tough and I do think about food. And for thank God, I don't have to do... Uh, another thing that has helped me maintain my weight and abstain for a long period of time is to learn how to have better binges. Because if I just couldn't make it and I knew I was going to overeat, I can go to things with a lot of crunch like broccoli and a big apple. And food like that can get 
that out of my system without doing a lot of damage to me. And so that has been one of the ways that I've been able to maintain absence for a long period of time by, by figuring out how to do it when nothing was going to help me and nothing was going to work. Okay, so the next thing that helped me learn how to get abstinent was I would do what everybody said. Everybody said, you pray and you meditate and you go through the steps and you write. And I did all those things and I did them every day. And my life was really painful. I was teaching. My daughter was, I think, about 12. It was brutal with her. She was such a brat. And uh, she was so... Going into that young teenage, and we had a tough teenage time, and it was really, really tough. And I would go into bed in the morning after I had breakfast, and I would go and lay down in bed, and I would read my books, and I would pray. And one morning, the idea came into my mind, you were not your problem. And that was the first experience I had of a connection to a higher power. I didn't know that's what it was at the time. But later I came to understand that when I feel that sense of self, not sense of me as a woman with problems, not sense of me as trying to not eat or eating or whatever I am out there, but uh, that you are something besides your problems, that was another start. That was another start for me that I could find a connection that could take me into an intuition and a sense of self that I had never experienced before. And that I could find that in a dependable way if I took the time for it. And it's not always dependable. Sometimes I go through periods of time where it's tough to contact a higher power. Sometimes it's not easy to, to be right with myself in the world uh, for one reason or another. But sooner or later, if I hang in there, it gets easy again. Sooner or later, it goes past again. Just to see how I'm doing. Most of the... Most of the uh, shares in the valley are 20 minutes, so it's about 20 minutes, so I think I'm done, so now I can go back and talk some more. Uh, So I worked the program. I told you about the sponsor I had that I was giving my uh, writing to in my inventory. I never felt like I had abstinence. I could never say... Today, I will not overeat, and I will not overeat ever again. I couldn't do it. I kept slipping and sliding around for several years. But eventually, I looked back, and I said to myself, Oh, it's been quite a few months since I have been slipping and sliding around. It's been quite a few months since I've been turning to the food. I don't know how long it would be. It had been six, eight months before I realized that I was abstaining. It just had to come in the back way for me. So I did. I did the steps. I don't know that I had a great 
sense of relief when I figured that, when I finished them. I was still a very, very tightly wrapped, very tense, very determined kind of woman. And I didn't really, and I needed to be. Because that's how I survived when I was a kid. I mean, just really doing things while at school, doing the things that I had to do. And the thing that I wasn't good at and, and didn't feel comfortable about were, were the days that I could just hang out and be comfortable with people. I didn't have that comfort inside of myself. That came very, very slowly, very slowly. But I kept plugging away at them, and I did all the steps. And I subsequently did them a couple of other times, too. Uh, Maxine, who was one of the original uh, members of OA, along with Roseanne, ran workshops in the valley with somebody else, and they went through a a weekend workshop where you did the steps, and I did that. And I went back and did some writing, and I've done that again recently to do some writing and and to get through this go through the steps again and starting to do that and little by little I got calm and I felt my feet were planted on the ground and I felt that I could hold my head up and it took a long time and I went to the spiritual maintainers meeting in the San Fernando Valley. That was the meeting I was going to when I got absence. I still go to that meeting. I was there this morning. It's still my home meeting. And in those days, I don't know, there were so many people they had to sit on the floor. And 20, 30 of us used to go out to lunch afterwards. This was from 9 to 12 on, 10 to 12 on Saturdays. And we got a little group of people that went to lunch together and it's like we taught each other how to be human beings. We taught each other how to be girlfriends. We taught each other how to go places together. How to, all of us were either divorced or never married and we were all in that position. I guess we were all divorced, the ones that I was closest to. I still have lunch with them once a month. There was a period of time when we didn't have lunch together, but there's four of us that that have gotten back together again for lunch. And we taught each other how to be. And we got through the years that we were looking for husbands and looking for the things we were looking for. I mean, I... If I had met my present husband before I found program, he wouldn't have looked at me a second time. The first time he took me out to dinner, I ate every grain of rice on my plate. And he looked at that, and he'd never seen anybody do that before, you know, with my fingers. (laughs) He said, what is this? And I told him, this is just what I was. If he was going to run away, he was going to run away. He never heard of this before. But somehow we stood together, and we had a couple of tough times in this marriage. We've been married 20 years. We've been together this was 22 years ago that I met him and we had a couple of tough times one of the tough times was that I had an ill-fitting 
orthotic in my shoe and I was doing jumping jacks at the gym and I damaged my back by herniating a disc so badly that I have permanent damage in my leg into the nerves of my leg and that was tough I mean he's younger than I am he's out in the world I didn't know that we were going to be able to get through that together and that he was going to stay with me and and that our marriage was going to survive this not that I was ever athletic but I did start in 1975 I did start going to the gym I was a new marriage and family counselor I knew not a thing about marriage and family counseling other than the academics I went to school to become one because I wanted to solve my life that was another of the career and the other things that I was doing to try to solve my life and um, I was convinced that if I said the wrong thing to any of my clients that I would ruin their life forever (laughs) and so that's when I started to go to the gym because I was really tense and and I stayed with it ever since and I still make the most of what I've got I still work out and I still walk and I still do those things but I do have a very real problem in my leg so that was one of the problems that my husband and I had and there were others over the years that were difficult maybe not quite as bad as that and over time we have become very dear friends and very happy and very strong together and if I were to leave OA today and leave the principles of OA today that's the end of it it's there because I work this program so that if something is a problem or an issue because stuff goes on with the kids with whatever goes on the latest is the problem with my daughter well let me finish about my husband (laughs) (laughs) if I were to leave program I would not be able to do what I do. I would not be able to be there for another human being, to let go of myself because I have enough inside myself. It's not perfect. I still have that sense of emptiness. I still come home sometimes from a social event and I can't quite take it in all the way and there's a sense of emptiness there. But I have enough of it so that I know that that there's a person in here and I can stand up and talk and be myself. And when I first met him, he would out-talk me and have his way and not want to listen to what I wanted to do. And I didn't say what I wanted to do in the right way. I was demanding and and, and, uh, uh, anxious. And... Somebody I knew in program in the valley went to hear a top speaker in the city who she came she got her number and she came back and she said, I heard this speaker and she sounds like she has a really good uh, marriage. So I got her number for you and I called her and I never met her. But I called her for months and she taught me to write down everything I wanted to say to my husband and 
call her up and tell her, and then she would go through it. And she said, well, you can't say that because that's like invading his space. And you can't say this because this is argumentative or whatever the reasons why I couldn't say that. And then by the time I talked it all out with her, I had a very solid footing. And I was very ready to talk to my husband about whatever it was that I wanted to talk to him about. And I couldn't be shaken off of that. And so that was another way in which OA helped me find what I needed. And, I've, and I still think about that to today and write through my issues and write through my thinking and sometimes talk it over with another person before I approach somebody who I have something t- difficult to deal with that I think is going to become a problem and I'm going to get sensitive and I'm going to not know how to handle this and I'm going to blow it. And, and so I have my tools that I can use that help me live. And I had a tough one this year. My daughter got married. She got married uh, July 1st. And she was 30, uh, 39 years old. And I was a single parent, and I was a working single parent, and she and I were very, very tight after the teenage. I told you about the teenage. They were really very tough. But after teenage, we got to be very close and very close friends. And as we're going into this wedding and planning the wedding, I'm starting to think about this is how it should be and that's how it should be. And she said, whoa, wait a minute. I think this is my wedding and I want it my way. And um, I had to back off. And it did not come easy. I thought... It was like I was cutting my umbilical cord. It really was. It took a year. And she was very adamant, you know, this is my thing and you don't... I never knew what the plans were for the wedding exactly. I didn't know all the details about the... The wedding was fine. It was lovely. She thinks it was perfect. It's not the way I would have been, but it was a, but it was a perfect wedding because she thinks it was perfect and it's her wedding. And she said to me, "You've had three weddings, Mom. This is my turn." <laughs> and she was right. <laughs> but you know, I had to let go of the, <laughs> I had to let go of the concept that. I needed to make sure everything was okay for her. And I was wrong, you know. I was just as wrong with her as my mother was with me. A little different reason, a little different way of being wrong, but not really there letting her be. Having too much invested in what she was up to and what she was doing and what she wasn't. And these last couple of years, really, and especially this last year, as I have backed up, I ha- backed off, I have seen her proudly overtake me. She followed me into teaching, and now she has more degrees and more accre- accreditations than I have as a teacher, and she's very proud of that. And, and I'm proud of it, too, and I'm proud that she is coming into her own and um, that I have that we have worked this out together and that I can love her and release her to her life and her God and herself 
And I've got my life and my God and myself. And this is good. <laughs> this, is, this is good. This is working. So now through this whole process with my daughter, uh, we went to a therapist a couple of times together. And I talked to this therapist. And what the therapist said to me is that... Um, Therapy is really not to solve your problems. That is not the purpose of therapy. The purpose of therapy is to find out how to live from inside yourself. And I thought, hmm, maybe this is my new growth. So it's been several months that I'm doing this, and I'm just getting ready now to write a four-step inventory on some of the things that I've discovered that uh, through this whole process. And I think that's why those of us who are old-timers here never leave. To me, being in program is having some people that I sponsor something to give and giving it having somebody I can turn to who knows me really well, who I can be completely honest with, writing my food down in the morning and making a real good effort to keep to that food plan. It may say out to dinner best choice, but I know what that best choice will be. You know, after all these years, I really know what the parameters are. It's been tough lately because as I get older and I'm a certifiable old lady now uh, I have to eat less my body slows down and recently I had that again I had that a while back that I every couple of years I just have to eat a little less and now it's starting to have to eat a little less and I'm not quite as willing to eat a little less and so maybe I'm going to go ahead and weigh two pounds more and that's not that's really a painful loss to me because I've been able to be in my same clothes for all these years and everything fit but some of those skinnier pants don't fit as, don't fit anymore I've got four of them and so I haven't given them away yet but I'm thinking about it am I really willing to never go out to dinner and eat a meal only a salad with the dressing on the side and a teaspoon of it because if I eat a meal the, the weight just pops up again I mean you know it's just getting really tight in there and that's just part of the process I guess I'm turning into one of those little old ladies who eat like a bird <laughs> I'm not willing to be quite that tight with it yet but maybe I will I don't know I'll see how how it goes if I have to stay where I am that's okay too that's okay too so I have somebody to turn to I have something to give I stay here there's always something new to learn something new in myself to work on and I would never go anyplace else because I have a beautiful life so thank you for letting me share questions mm-hmm. Walter yes uh, Mark could you talk about how you work step 11 please oh would I talk about how I work step, step 11 well if I don't work step 11 I feel the difference 
if I don't take the time in the morning to get quiet inside of myself and go through my day and center myself into my day and then get a little time to get quiet and listen and get quiet to listen to what the step, whatever it will be. And it may not even say anything at that moment, but just to get quiet before I go into my day. Then when something happens, I just react. But if I do take time to listen to myself, then I get ideas about things that I would never get on my own. I see things differently than I I get that that connection. I hear an idea about how to solve a problem or how to be or the words that will come out of my mouth that didn't come from the past but comes from a connection with my higher power. And I don't always do it. Sometimes I'm busy and off I go, but I can feel the difference. Thank you. Any other? She, t- uh, we ate well in my home, and she told me when she started her own home that she doesn't keep a lot of sweets in the house because she's not used to having them there. I can't have them there. My husband's normal. Uh, he could have them there. He could have ice cream in the freezer for uh, you know a month and never think about it again. Well, hello. <laughs> It's like screaming to me. I just can't do it. And once for a while, I mean, not that long ago, I can eat some frozen yogurt or I get, that I get out of the house that I don't keep in the house and I eat yogurt. And so once there's this uh, really low-calorie ice cream. And I thought, well, maybe I could have it in the house. And I, the first time I bought it, I bought this little, I got a scoop and I made half cup packages in baggies and put it in the refrigerator and that worked fine so the next time I bought this item um, I didn't do that and my husband looked at me he said are you sure this is a good idea for you and that was the end of it I can't keep it in the house (laughs) and my daughter still does that now her husband this new husband of three weeks they're not home from their honeymoon yet uh, the new husband does eat desserts and does uh, have a different fix on food. So she's going to have to work it out with him. I don't know what she's going to do with him. But with me, she knows how to eat and she does eat healthy. And she's been slender all her life, which is really a gift. And then every once in a while she put on a few pounds like when she stopped smoking or a couple of other things when she met this boyfriend. Uh, but she takes it off again and I hope that that lasts for her lifetime. She doesn't have to struggle the way I do. Well, because my husband is a normal eater, how do I deal with the things that he can eat? And how do I deal with them in the house? Well, I don't have dessert in the house. And he was having candy bars every day at lunch. And that kind of bit him in the face. And that was, did not work for him because he got diabetes from eating 
that and it was in his family. So now it's not really a problem. Although we eat differently. I make sure that he has all the foods that he needs, but he doesn't eat the carbs. And so maybe I'll roast vegetables for him that don't have a potato, but I'll add a half a potato for myself. You know, and so I'm willing to do the work to make it work for both of us. Earlier than that, he was just, I just told him I couldn't do it. And so he was willing to, uh, if we would go out to dinner and he wanted to have a dessert or something like that, he would do that. But it was okay with him not to have it in the house. Okay, well, thank you very much.